They sent another one. What do you mean another one? Bill, what do you mean another one? They didn't tell you. Didn't tell me what? There were some letters before, Rachel. Same kind of thing. Threats, oddball stuff. And somebody got into the house. Someone was in my house? Okay, let's not get hysterical, Bill. We should get her Wait out a minute. Here. Wait a minute. Someone was in my house? That was weeks While ago. Fletcher was there? Town. Fletcher's okay. The house oh is like God. Fort Knox. I mean, right, Frank? We should get her out of here right I mean, now. there's no way anyone could... Just, just wait. No Rachel, way anyone Rachel, could... calm down. He's here, isn't he? He might be. We don't know that. Frank, we don't know that. But you know he was in my house, Cy. everyone, welcome to The Boot! That's right, it's The Boot! We are recasting classic movie reboots, so Hollywood doesn't have to. You know what, Hollywood? How take about a you vacay. Take the night off. You know what, it's autumn in New England. Just go spend time with the foliage. But it's only September. Well, by the time this episode comes out, oh, okay. it'll be late September. <laughs> and things will be totally Things different. will be way different then. Guys, I'm Brian Flynn, and uh, what movie are we doing? Oh, yeah, trying to wow. decipher the codex of the stalker. It's Kenna Trent. Kenna, how are you? Um, I'm good. I didn't finish my glass of rosé in the last episode, so here we are. <laughs> so it's a double now. <laughs> Guys, today we are rounding out Kevin Costner month with the 1992 blockbuster Academy Award winning, mm-hmm. motherfucking iconic romance thriller, The Bodyguard, starring, obviously, KC Kevin Costner, but also the legend herself, Whitney Houston, R.I.P. Gary Kemp, Michelle Lamar Richards, and Thomas Aranya, or Aranya, I don't know how you pronounce it. I feel like you're creating an accent where there isn't one. Ken and I are going to pick those five characters from The Bodyguard, and we're going to recast them as if The Bodyguard was going to be remade today in 2018. But before we get into that, we have some reboot news. Thank God we don't have much. Can't wait to talk about Whitney Houston. The next Die Hard movie will just be called McLean. We heard last month, again, we is... The AB Club. We heard last month that Live Free or Die Hard director Lynn Wiseman wanted Die Hard 6 to jump back and forth in time to tell a story about young John McClane and old McClane. This seems silly, since the first movie's story about a regu- is about a regular guy fighting back terrorists. It wouldn't be nearly as thrilling if we knew he had fought back terrorists at least once before. But what do we know? We being the AB Club. Anyway, as bad as this idea seems... The project was apparently moving forward. It hasn't moved forward much in the past month, but it does have a real title now that won't make anyone think it's based on an old Frank Miller comic. Huh, I don't get that. According to Deadline, Die Hard Year One, which is, I guess, what it was Batman called Batman Year One is written by Frank uh, Frank Miller. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Is now just McLean. That's it. Uh, which producer Lorenzo de Bonaventura says should be an indication that this movie will get audiences more invested in John McClane than ever before. He also reiterated that the movie will indeed follow both a 20-something McClane and a 60-something McClane in parallel stories. Here's the thing. Bruce Willis did Looper? Yeah. That's like an older version of himself and a younger version of himself. He's also done like, how many diehards are there now? Four? Five? Five. Five. Well, obviously, good... this one says Die Hard 6. Did you even read this article? Did you even read this article out loud? 
I get the kind of notion that it's like everyone wants to do the Godfather too. It's like, well, let's see, let's see these like parallel flashback stories. AB Club is correct. Like Die Hard Year One is Die Hard One. I was always kind of partial to Roy Rogers, actually. I really like those sequin shirts. Do you really think you have a chance against us, Mr. Cowboy? Yippee ki motherfucker. Honestly, I just wish that these like big action blockbusters would sort of go the way of Fast and Furious, and at a certain point. Become self-aware, become a little out of the box, get a little weird. Yeah. That's fine. I never saw Die Hard 5, but... Uh, I I'm, did. Jai Courtney is in it. Is he? Does he play John's son? Y- uh, n- yes. He does. He plays John. And his daughter has been featured in a in, in the fourth Live one, for your Die Hard. Yeah, yeah, Played yeah. by Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Yes. Okay. So I always... After five came out, which I never saw, I thought it would be fun for six to just be called McLean's. I never really thought this. I thought of this today. <laughs> I thought of this just now. But it would be Mary Elizabeth Winstead and Jai Courtney being like siblings who couldn't stand each other who happened to have to save some event from terrorists. What if it was literally the first movie, but it's them, but it's like a sibling comedy where yeah. they they have to do what their dad did. Yeah. But together. Yeah, exactly. I'd watch that. We got to workshop it. We, we got to workshop, workshop it, but it's like they come to the same event and then terrorists take over and they're just like, you got to be fucking kidding me. What's wrong with these family? And it, for the audience, <laughs> my elbow's on the table and I'm kind of doing this pouty thing. You know what I mean? But I'd let's, watch that. Let's I'd watch write, McLean's. Let's write McLean's on spec and just see what happens. Jai Courtney as the son, Mary mm-hmm. Elizabeth Winstead as the daughter, and bring back Justin Long as the love interest to the daughter oh, right, would right, be right. an unstoppable trio of action fun. <laughs> I love Jai Courtney. I, I That's the end of that sentence. I weirdly, like, I wish I could disagree with you, but you're right. Like, even in Suicide Squad, I'm like, his He's Captain not, Boomerang is so funny. He hasn't, he hasn't, I don't want to say he hasn't done anything successfully. His career has not taken off successfully. He's missing, I think, something that's really going to put him... He's got Charlie Hunnam syndrome. Like, he... That's, that's what's going on, he's yeah. He's got talent, and he's easy to watch, but the projects that he's been in have not pushed him forward. It's almost like if he had Joel Kinnaman's roles, would we be talking about yeah, him differently? Yeah, okay, yeah. Let's stop casting Joel... I don't know why I have such a grudge against Joel either. Kinnaman, but stop I'm, like, casting. afraid to cast Joel Kinnaman, and I agree with you, but I'm also like, he'd be fine in this role, and I think you'd just start screaming at him. <laughs> we can do better than Joel Kinnaman. All right, let's move on to the next bit of news. Thriller, Goodnight Mommy gets English language redo with It Follows producer Animal Kingdom and Playtime. Animal Kingdom and Playtime have begun packaging the English language remake of well-received Austrian psychological chiller Goodnight Mommy. Filming is due to begin in 2019 with Matt Sobel, director of 2015 Sundance drama Take Me to the River, attached to direct. Writing is underway with Sobel overseeing a draft by Kyle Warren based on their shared take on the original. In Goodnight Mommy, Elias and his twin brother Lucas arrive at their mother's house to find her face covered in bandages, the result, she explains, of recent cosmetic surgery. Lucas delights in their mother's uncharacteristically lax house rules, but in Elise's mind, a dreadful thought takes root. The sinking suspicion that this woman beneath the gauze, who's making their food and sleeping in the next room, isn't really their mother. Did you see uh, Goodnight Mommy? Yes. Goodnight Mommy. Uh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> 
getting weird in this one. This room is exceptionally hot. It is very warm. Um, um, yeah, I love Goodnight Mommy. I watched it on a plane. I have this knack of like, I catch up on like indie horror movies that I couldn't see in theaters. I like download them and watch them on long plane trips. Yeah. So I always end up watching like weird things on planes. And I feel sorry for the people next to me because I'm like, they're probably very confused. But it's the perfect time to do it. Um, and this one was an especially weird one because yeah. it's creepy kids, creepy mom, creepy, creepy house, mom, creepy, creepy house. country. Yeah, yeah, like not in English. Feels very, very distant, very foreign, um, but is very effective. The twist at the end, I did not, I honestly didn't know to expect it, so I was very taken off guard. Oh God, I watch this movie. <laughs> I don't want to pick the clip for this movie. <laughs> I'm gonna make you pick it. You don't have to pick a clip it's from so this movie. sad like the whole thing is just so sad um well, but it's so beautiful pick too. A clip from this movie it's um, not in english well what am i gonna play now you don't have to pick a clip it's an obscure austrian horror movie uh, you know what i'll just play the austrian and you guys can uh figure out what they're saying <laughs> All right, everyone, let's get into the reboot of The Bodyguard. But before we do, Kenna, set up the security cams. Tell us the rules. What's the policy here? (laughs) This is a podcast best listened to with an open IMDb. We may talk about some people you've never heard of and you're going to want to look them up. We will be talking about a movie that you may not have seen. So if you haven't seen The Bodyguard, pause us right now and go watch it. It's weird, I think, if you've never seen this movie. I had never seen it. This was my, my virgin time seeing it. It's so, like... Like middle of the road ish. Like I just feel like everybody I think has a chance to connect to this movie. Yeah, you'll find things to kind of gravitate to, good Um, good or bad. Okay, now to the rules. Rule number one: no remakes, reboots, or long lost sequels. We can't do a movie that has already been redone in the last twenty years. This includes franchises like Die Hard that pop back up with sequels every few decades. You mean McLean? McLean's. Rule number two, no imaginary casting. Our dream cast must be made up of actors that are alive and working today. And rule number three, no tender casting. We can't cast someone just based on how they look. You have to have seen their work and be able to vouch for their talent. All right, guys, let's get into the reboot of The Bodyguard. Is that why you never stay with one of your clients? They too undisciplined for you? Or is it that you might start to care about them? That's right. Can't you answer straight just once? You're too clever for me. I can't keep up. Look at me, farmer. You don't approve of me, do you? This approval is a luxury I can't afford. Oh, gets in the way, right? Don't like your emotions getting to you? Never mix business with pleasure. That's right. Will you grab that jacket for me, the red one, please? I'm here to keep you alive, not help you shop. The Bodyguard. Directed by Mick Jackson, director of such movies as Volcano and L.A. Story. Kind of a disparate uh, filmography here. But pro- probably makes sense when you sort of think about 90s movies in mm-hmm. L.A. Did Volcano take place in L.A.? I, I think so. Okay. Uh, stars Kevin Costner, obviously, as Frank Farmer. Whitney Houston, the Whitney Houston, as Rachel Marin. Michelle Lamar Richard as her sister, Nikki Marin. Gary Kemp as Cy Spector. And Thomas Arana, Arana, Aranya, as Portman. Okay, so do you want to talk about the movie or do you want to talk about Kevin Costner in this movie? <laughs> Who should we, who's our focus here? We're going to get, we're going to get there. We're going to get to all of it. I'll say this. When um, I put this, I had never seen this movie. And when I turned it on and it started to play, 
And I realized that it was written and produced by Lawrence Kasdan, who Mm -hmm. is one of the most prolific, renowned screenwriters in Hollywood maybe ever. Talk about a Star Wars. Talk about a Star Wars. Talk about a big chill. Talk about a bodyguard. Um. I I didn't realize this and it kind of made me really sad that I hadn't seen it before. Um but I I was really excited to watch it because of the sort of social references that this movie had generated well into the 90s and uh-huh. even today. And when I watched it, there were definitely things that I was kind of laughing about, but the whole idea of like celebrity, obsession with celebrity and someone who would need protection in a modern setting, I was really really into. I do think this movie went a lot of places I didn't expect it to go. I do think it was slightly long. I think that like A Star is Born, there should be one of these for every generation. Because why not? It could definitely work. To, it actually works more today than any uh, like it's an en- It's an enduring story. I more so in this watch, I think, realize the story issues and character problems that arise. Yeah. But I... Still, I I really like this movie. I love this soundtrack. Soundtrack is great. Queen of the Night is a certified banger. It is still a good song. And the performances are great. The story is sound. And the way that they kind of deal with Rachel's celebrity, the kind of celebrity that would be in the 90s, I think is pretty funny. Like when I first started watching it, I was like, there's no celebrity like this now. And then I was like thinking about it. I'm like, actually, every celebrity kind of is doing, you know, that kind of one name celebrity kind of has mm-hmm. a, a visual sense to them that people do kind of get obsessed with. And and I, over the course of the movie, it was just like, actually, this is more prescient than dated I, I thought it was I thought it did it really well. There is this sense of like you really had to try to stalk a celebrity in the 90s. Now you can do it pretty easily because you have access to yeah. everything online. And you could probably easily find their email. You could probably, mm-hmm. you know, it's probably public knowledge where they live because everyone's kind of sharing that. Yeah. Let's let's get into it. Let's let's talk about the man of the hour. This is our last Costner. I mean, this is this is sort of uh, let's savor it. Let's savor it. Let's talk about Frank Farmer, one of the worst cinematic names. Frank Farmer. Come on, Lawrence. <laughs> You're extra critical because it's Chaboy. I'm like you, um, you created Lando Calrissian, one of the best cinematic names ever, and this the the only name you could think of for this character was Frank Farmer. All right. I think my favorite thing about Casey in this movie is that he is perfectly out of his element. Like I was trying to describe, I was crowdsourcing a little. I was trying to describe to somebody I work with Kevin Costner's presence in this movie. And it is so difficult because I was like, he's a fish out of water in the way that like I I kept coming up with names of celebrities that I was like, oh, maybe he could do this. And then I was like, no, he's too cool. Yeah. Like there is and there's like this essential uncoolness that Kevin Costner brings into like he walking into the like video rehearsal. You're like, this man is completely out of his his realm of understanding. You don't look like a bodyguard. What'd you expect? Well, I don't know. Maybe a tough guy? This is my disguise. So can we get you a drink? Yeah, orange juice. 
straight. It's not like he's a dad figure, but he's sort of like your dad's friend. Not an uncle. Uncles are cool. But like, there's just something about him that I was like, who is KC? It's just, it's remarkable. Again, that like the person you least expect, Kevin Costner, is sort of irreplaceable like it's what's funny is like you guys really need to listen to the water world episode but they give him a character like here's mariner a loner out on the sea mm-hmm. in a post-apocalyptic world and it's like you could really play that any kind of way yeah and he plays it terribly but then they're uh-huh. like here's a box of a man he's essentially a samurai and kevin costner's like great i'm gonna do that but i'm also gonna kind of layer it in someone who is wildly lonely someone who doesn't really have anything in his life and and you really start to feel for that there's an emotional depth i just my mind was a little blown when i started looking at people and people that honestly aren't bad choices yeah but that i was like no like they just don't have the package that KC does. KC brings to the Who's movie. Who's going to go first? You should go first. I went first right. last time. Well, I'm glad that you started your dissection of Frank Farmer as the guy who is uncool, who does not fit, uh, because okay. I I picked an actor who, despite, actually, I think he's I think he's probably cool in real life, but like, he's his characters kind of could maybe be skewed as milk toast. I don't know. Okay. Um, and I know how last week we kind of besmirched some of the Chris's. I picked a Chris. Oh, you picked a Chris. I picked Chris Evans. Wow. I went in a very different direction. Good. I think we should <laughs> always go in different directions. But I, I Interesting. So I picked Chris Evans because he has that kind of Boy Scout quality to him. I also picked him because, yeah, he's someone who was like if he was to stand in a – like if he – when he stands amongst the Avengers as Captain America, mm-hmm. you're, you're like you're the least cool guy there – but you're also the most important person there because they all rely on you as as sort is he, of. Is he the least cool? I guess I'm a. I like Hawkeye, but I don't really necessarily like Jeremy Renner's no. Hawkeye. He, but I mean, like traditionally, Captain America is the kind of stick in the mud. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? But I thought about Chris Evans as someone who you know he plays patriotic very well. Mm-hmm. And I know he's sworn that he's never going to act again, and then it was like immediately like, all right, I'm going to be a Broadway actor. And now Wait, he said he was never going to act again? Yeah, he was just like, I'm going to, after Captain America and Avengers, I'm just going to retire from acting and what? become a director. Then he directed oh, a movie boy. and it didn't do well. And he's like, maybe I should stick to acting. And now he's like on Broadway playing like a New York cop. Huh. And so I, I started thinking like, I know he's not everyone's favorite, but I do think he's a really good actor. And I, and I'm very interested to see what his post Captain hmm. America work will be yeah and sort of like frank sort of his post secret service work will be Mm -hmm. i I was kind of like let's give chris evans a complex character of someone who feels the weight of not being able to save the people he cares about now charged to save the person that he will eventually fall in love with Mm -hmm. might work because he's a very good romantic lead. But also, let's never forget Chris Evans in Sunshine. Let us never, ever forget Chris Evans in Sunshine. He's so fucking good in Sunshine. What is Sunshine? The Danny Boyle movie with um, fucking Killian Murphy. It's like a serial killer on a spaceship. How do you not know this movie? Sunshine? Yes. I have no idea what you're talking about. I have oh, never Kenna. heard of this. Kenna. I'm a little taken aback at how upset you are at this. I mean, 
whatever. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I, now that I realize that my co-host doesn't like movies. Um, <laughs> I think it's interesting that you don't think that, uh, that, that you find him to be the sort of like off Avenger. Like he's just like, not the, maybe I just feel a different way, but, um, I, I did go in a very different direction. I think this guy is a good actor and I think he absolutely has this part in him. Um, especially just like one of the, one of the most frustrating things watching this movie is realizing the seriousness of the situation. Yeah. Because people are constantly like, you're doing too much. You're doing way too much. Especially Sai, who understands that some guy like jerked off in her bed <laughs> and they're all like, it's, it, Frank, calm down. Someone penetrates the house. Gets upstairs, jerks off on the bed, I'd say, uh, I'd say that qualifies as a problem. Oh, fuck. We don't need this bill. You people have no clue of what security is or what it takes to achieve it. And I'm like, guys, he's just trying to help. Like, he is doing his job. He was on the presidential detail. It baffled me. Um, so I picked, gosh, this is a weird choice. I picked Joshua Jackson. Huh? I don't know if you why I'm not saying <laughs> I'm not saying he's a bad actor or that it doesn't fit I I'm I don't oh boy what is he in like what has he been in recently the affair oh I didn't see the affair he's in the affair he was on fringe I I know his work but like then I... why are you <laughs> what's happening Okay, he well, was in, he was in Dawson's Make your case. Creek, make, your, make, make your case. The for Mighty him. Ducks. I, you don't have to go back <laughs> all the way. I'm just saying, like, make your case for him because I he was not even on my radar. Here's the thing is that I think Joshua Jackson has a certain appeal to him. And maybe the the appeal is that, like, we were when we were first introduced to him as a teenager, mm-hmm. like, that's how we're always going to see him a little bit. Yeah. But I think even now I look at him and I'm like... Hmm. There's a little bit of like a like a fuddy duddy in there. Like I can see him being equal parts like the serious trying to get your job done, the job you know you're good at, but also sort of sitting with this intense. Like I'm I'm imagining him sitting alone in the pool house watching her music videos and just fully sitting into that. And I think in a way that not a lot of so-called movie stars today have that quality of like you can escape out of the fact that we're like oh you're a movie star yeah like he would appear other in the sense that we could see him become frank and be like oh okay yeah like i'm not looking at him like of course she would fall in love with this like super hot super smart super protective guy like no i want him to sort of have a disposition that leads us away from that conclusion. And I liked Joshua Jackson for it. All right. I guess I I haven't seen him recently. So that my reaction is sort of to his celebrity rather than to his work. So you saw The Affair. I've never seen The Affair. And so um, I've only seen a little of The Affair, but um, I bought it. The thing about Kevin Costner in this role that I think is great is he deliberately plays uncool. He deliberately plays not not a country bumpkin, but like their date. Mm-hmm. That, and they go to like just like a local bar. Your kind of place? Yeah. Your kind of music? Absolutely. You figure no one can get by you here, huh? Someone's willing to swap his life for a kill and nothing can stop them, Rachel. 
Great. What do I need you for? I might get me instead. And you're ready to die for me? It's the job. Everything to him is very simple. He lives a very mm-hmm. simple, minimalist life. Yeah. What's funny is now I'm like, I do want to see Joshua Jackson and more things, but yeah. now I'm, I want to know who your Rachel is. Yeah. Well, we're getting there. So Rachel Marin, played by the exquisite Whitney Houston. Have you ever heard Whitney Houston sing the national anthem at the Super Bowl? Yes. It's the best rendition of the of the of the Super Bowl of the national. <laughs> it's the best rendition. It's the best of Super the Bowl. Super- it's the best rendition of the national anthem I think anyone has ever sung. Yeah, it's the vocal equivalent of um, Jimi Hendrix playing the national anthem. I'm very glad that you're up because this was this is the crux of this cast. Yeah, it's interesting because Whitney Houston they specifically asked her not to take acting lessons because they wanted her genuine spirit to come through, which I think is a really good instinct because in a way, like she's, she's just playing herself um, because she understands the fame aspect. And so I, I honestly, I did the obvious, um, but I think the best obvious because I, feel like she could give a similar performance just out of her own experience. Mm-hmm. So I picked Beyonce. Oh, all right. I picked a different obvious. I I I was thinking of like what's funny is I didn't even think of Beyonce. Well, the thing what is what is Beyonce's acting career? Dreamgirls. Uh Austin Powers 3. Yeah, Austin Powers. Hold up. I have it pulled up. So you're leaning on the idea that it's like just bring her in She'll figure it out. She's smart enough. She's talented enough. She can. She she's a performer. Oh, yeah, she's gonna be in the Lion King. She's one of those people that, like, honestly, her acting is not. Acting is not her forte. But part of what makes Rachel Rachel is mm-hmm. that they picked a they picked a superstar who has such an undeniable talent that she could play this sort of like sometimes like petulant, fearful, but strong willed, like. I can see her being able to pull off like she when she opens her mouth and does what she does best Mm -hmm. singing like I think everything else is just going to sort of revolve around that because there is just this quality to Whitney Houston. She's not a great actress, but there's an honesty to what she's doing and it's because she gets it. You probably won't believe this, but I have a reputation for being a bitch. (laughs) I didn't used to be, but you get known for being a certain way. A way people think you are. And pretty soon, you get like that. Guess you can't help it. I'm sorry, I don't mean to make fun of you, but now I'm just picturing Joshua Jackson falling in love with Beyonce and I'm kind Listen, of like, I thought of some wacky I thought of some oh, wacky no. duos, but that's the thing. I didn't want I didn't want to pick somebody that I'm like, well yeah, these two like smoking hot people who were just like Amy Bennegard and she's but a like, singer. Why not? Like, I was like, Costner. I want to pick. I want to pick a rough, straight edge Joshua Jackson to be like against all odds. I'm gonna okay. fall in love with Beyonce. Well, I I guess. Uh, <laughs> why are you laughing? I guess like the phrase Beyonce and Joshua Jackson haven't been like uttered in the same sentence. Like the idea. I think I'm laughing. It's like. Beyonce, we want you to take over Whitney sure. Houston's role in The Bodyguard. And she's like, yes. Who's going to be Kevin Costner? And they're like, Joshua Jackson. And but she's I'm, like, no, 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 no. But I'm sure like when Kevin Costner took on this role, they were like, eh, this is a little odd, but it works. Well, Kevin Costner was 37 when he played this part. He's just 
edging out of this like immortal Kevin Costner. So like 94 Kevin Costner basically turns into a pumpkin and you're just like <laughs> <clears throat> Um Okay, well who did you pick? I picked Rihanna. Yeah, that's a good choice. So she was in Ocean's 8 and she was in Bates Motel and unfortunately she was in Battleship. But I think she has enough experience that she could be great at it. I think she has not enough experience that she mm-hmm. could play that part like you talked about. I think that's a great point like the idea it's like let's cast the celebrity as the celebrity with a few different attributes. So I picked Rihanna because I think that she is I mean she's a huge celebrity, right? Mm-hmm. First name basis across homes all over the world. But I think she's still kind of young enough to not understand what it means to take her security serious. I actually think Rihanna is really great and she has a talent that I think will be molded the more she acts. Yeah. The reason I could not get on board with her is because, and I like Rihanna and I like her music a lot, but she does not have the same vocal quality. Uh, yeah, I was I was thinking about that. Like, could she, is that like we have, the, the actress has to hit the song notes, like, that's what I was worried about. Like Rihanna might not be able to hit Whitney's range because I also and, and don't think Beyonce can hit R- Whitney's range. But she, but I think the thing that gets me about it is that they're like I think no matter what they end up singing, there's something about like wh- every time you see Whitney singing that you're like, well, yeah, like I get it, I get why she's such a phenomenon, and it's yeah. because like. This is her gift. This is what co- this is what comes easily to her. Like she has something so special. Yeah. And the hard work is the celebrity of it. Again, not to dog on Rihanna, but I just see Beyonce as maybe more of the sort of tortured soul that's like, I've been given the gift of an amazing voice. Yeah. And now I have to deal with the fact that people are going to react weirdly to me in the spotlight. What's funny is the reason I picked Rihanna is that there is a YouTube video of her at like 17. Mm hmm singing a Whitney Houston song at like her school's <laughs> showcase. How did that go? And she she does great. And so I was like, obviously puberty doesn't matter. So uh, <laughs> if she can sing it, then she can sing it now. I do feel like we need to talk about their relationship a tiny bit Who's? because it is very unhealthy. Whose relationship? Frank and Rachel's. I just, I very much was almost never on her side. Because I was like, she's like upset when he's like, ah, we can't do this anymore. And I was like, well, yeah, you can't do this anymore. He's your your detail. He can't, like, you can't, like, attach yourself. I actually thought that you were going to have the opposite reaction. No, I was, I was like, I don't think she should be so upset. I feel like she should understand, but, like, get that. Because he's not doing it in a dickish way where he's like, well, we had our fun, but we can't do this anymore. He's legitimately like, for your safety and for my job, this can't happen. So you're not attracted to your client anymore? Oh, Christ, I told you why i i can't i can't protect you like this well i don't believe it well you can live with it or you can fire me but i can't fuck you and she freaks out on him would it work if it was switched like if they slept together and she gets up and she gets freaked out and she sees him sleeping like comfy and safe and she's like we can't do this and he's like you're right i think what might work better is if we're led to believe that there's a different reason. And so she's like making the assumption that the audience would be making is that like, he's just trying to play her Yeah, that's when true. really like he is always going to have her best interest at heart. Let's get to Nikki Marin, the most obvious fucking character in this movie played by Michelle Lamar Richards. 
I've seen this movie multiple times and I feel like every time I'm shocked that she gets shot. But it's foreshadowed the whole way. And so by the time she's shot, the reaction I had was if Frank and Rachel get together, they're never going to be able to come back to this beautiful cabin home in Montana. Oh, what possibly my favorite moment is when Fletcher gets in the boat by himself and everybody's freaking out and Frank saves him and they're all like, well, you screwed up to begin with. (laughs) So too bad. And then the boat explodes (laughs) and it's literally like the slow turn of (gasps) I was not honestly for a writer like Lawrence Kasdan to do something like that. I was absolutely shocked. Like. Oh, all right. Okay. I get it. There are rules, but if you know the rules, you can break them. Like, I get it. <laughs> like, it was so out of left field that I was just like, it was what so the weird. fuck? Yeah. Um, um, so Nikki, to me, I, the whole time, every time this character's on screen, you just get this like real off-putting sense. And mm-hmm. then the minute she talks about how they were both in the band and then Rachel obviously became the celebrity, I was like y'all done did it like you were in on it in some yeah. capacity i don't know if you are the killer or what but it was a little ham-fisted that i was thinking like okay well this needs to be a little more nuanced um so in my casting of rihanna it was actually very hard to find someone that could like maybe seem like they grew up in the same house like that they sort of look alike. So I was just like, you know what? Screw it. I'm just going to pick the best actress an actress who I've really enjoyed in a lot of things that she's mm-hmm. been in. I ended up picking Naomi Harris from Moonlight and Skyfall and 28 Days Later and the most recent Rampage. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that she could play that kind of older protective sister mm-hmm. and then play that twist in the end really well because I, I, I don't think that it should be I don't think that you should get those clues of like, I I started the band because I had talent and then here comes Rachel and she's the star until like the very end. If she's way more self-aware of giving herself away. Yeah. And can be like, this is the story I tell people. But I still think that like Naomi Harris could still be uh, alluring enough in that weird hallway moment where she kind of comes on to Frank. It's sort of the pre-scene to when everything's kind of revealed. Which is such a funny idea that like Kevin Costner on his own is not like gotta have him. But it's it's he's like a funny person for it to be like, this is who my sister is. Like I'm, and you're like it's Kevin Costner. <laughs> you're a lovely woman, but you don't want me. I'm surprised, thorough fellow like yourself. Why stop at one sister when you could have fucked them both? I make my mistakes, but you didn't say no to the boss. I think that that could have been nuanced a little bit easier, but it, it's just really like. She's jealous of her sister. She wanted Frank before Rachel did. And then it's like she gets nothing. She gets nothing. You lose, sir. And then it's when the reveal, you're like, yeah, obviously. Um. Anyways. I like Naomi I Harris. As an actress, I think she's wonderful. I thought also, you if you needed her to, to play out a little bit of a Caribbean accent, we got a taste of that in <laughs> Pirates. Pirates of the Caribbean. 
I know. I saw that. I was like, well, I guess that works in my favor. But I was hoping we were going to talk about it. I have a good friend who's from Jamaica. And I feel like the the rage you can sense in her voice when she talks about that accent. She's like, this is the worst. Um, Yeah, no, I think that's a really solid... She is a really solid performer. And so if you if you needed somebody to sort of like pick up the slack of like, well, we hired someone who's sort of an actress to be the star, like who is going to bring up like this heavier character to uh, to the next level. Yeah, Um, I took the easy way out because Beyonce has a sister (laughs) who is in the biz we call show. Uh, so yeah, I just picked, (laughs) I just picked Solange because if ultimately their story is that she is harbor, constantly harboring feelings of jealousy and anger, not that I'm putting this on their family at all, but I'm sure it's something that she has had to deal with at some point that like she is talented and has had big moments in her career, but she is not Beyonce. And so there is this sort of like, again, like they can bring their real lives into this because this is who they are. Two points. Solange's uh, last album is incredible. She's great. I love her music. Yeah. Second, do you think it works? Do you think the story works with a younger sibling? Like, I feel like younger siblings just grow up like this is how it always is. Whereas over siblings, if they're over past, that can create more contention. Like, I don't, I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe it's like. I don't think like, we have to make the distinction because Solange is younger than Beyonce, but I don't think we have to play it like that necessarily. Maybe you could play it like royalty. Like if, if uh, Rachel dies, the younger sister, Nikki, is now like the one that's, tr- that the nation turns to, to like fill her shoes. Which one of my favorite moments in the movie, because it is so, it's like this like undeniable moment of how this relationship works is when Nikki is singing and Rachel sort of comes in and it's one of those things where you're like, wow, okay, Nikki's good. And then when you hear Rachel, you're like, oh, she's great. And Frank sees it. Yeah. And he keys in on it. And that's yeah. when you he puts it all together. So when that weird, awkward conversation happens at the end, mm-hmm. he's not like shocked by it. No. How about the letters? <laughs> the letters came first. I don't know who's writing the letters. <laughs> They're reading my mind. Those are my thoughts. I hate her. It made me think I could do it. But I would never hurt the baby. I would never hurt Fletcher. That was an incredible scene, which is like really surprising for this movie. I thought this movie was going to be really cheesy and kind of like really big and like flamboyant. And I was just like, actually, this movie is pretty like driven to what it wants you to see at all times. I actually wrote down, I love this movie, but also it's terrible. And I feel like it's moments like that where you're I like, do well, this doesn't make sense. But then you see that and you're like, oh, that's right. Really I absolutely good. agree with you. Like this movie is great and also terrible. Mm-hmm. All right. Cy Spectre, played by Gary Kemp. I love this weird 90s stereotype of like the British manager doesn't care about anybody but his client. Yeah. Like, I can't even think of it specifically, but I'm like, I've seen this in probably like 60 
90s movies where there is a character like this that's just like the hyper cool British person. And everything that he cares about is the talent and the show. Like, oh, he gives Frank the speech of like, this is what like you have your job. This is her job. At the Oscars? No, it's at, no, it's, it's when at the she's at the performance. Yeah. yeah. And it, it's a it's a solid moment because it needs to be had where Frank yeah. realizes like, oh, right. Like, I think this is frivolous, but this is her whole life. You got a job to do here. But you got to understand that Rachel has a job to do too. And that's what she's doing, Frank. Out there. I mean, look, she's so hot right now. This is her time. If she doesn't get out there, she's dead. You know, forget the crazy death threats. If she doesn't sing, so I wanted to keep it. I wanted to stay traditional to the to the trope. I wanted him to be British. Um, I also felt specifically because I thought of a, a great actress for this. And then I was like, I think this needs to be a man. Mm. And I think it needs to be a man because he is one of the characters who I think it's Devaney who is like, well, he's the one who hires Frank. He's like, yeah. we need a professional because this is getting serious. And Sai is one of the people who is like, literally, they're like showing him around the house and being like, yeah, this is where this person broke in. This is where they. And he's like, you know, it's a hazard. Like, it's just her job. And I feel like especially today, women could not do that to other women. It's got to be a man. Um, So I went with an actor by the name of Noel Clark, who... I know most prominently from Doctor Who, but he's done several things, especially in the UK. Mm -hmm. It's possible you've never seen or heard. Not at all. Of this person. And that's okay. Um, Like he had a small part in Star Trek Into Darkness. One of my favorite characters from the early parts of the reboot of Doctor Who, Mm -hmm. Nikki Smith. He's great. Um, I like him a lot. I, I have no idea who this person is. He's English, so I assume he's an incredible actor and can do this <laughs> exactly how you described it. What's funny, though, is I went the exact opposite way for picking my side. <gasps> I picked an American woman. <gasps> Why? Because white. Why did you make that mistake? Because white women <laughs> elected Donald Trump. <laughs> That was a direct attack. This no, a I, direct attack. It, it, I, so this is how I was thinking of Cy. I wanted someone who was more obsessed with the celebrity that Rachel gives than her actual personal safety. Mm-hmm. Someone that would be more of a fan to the work. And then I started thinking because we we work in the industry. I was thinking of a lot of the people in this position I know now are women. And I think a lot of women in the situation would be more desperate to keep this position and work three times as hard to make sure that they are successful at it. Mm -hmm. That I thought that there could be room for a woman to ignore her morals and sort of put her client in grave danger for the sake of her own career. And I'm not saying I was looking for a woman. I I was pulling through men and women. And then I found this, I I remembered this actress and I was like, you know what? She plays kind of a despicable character already. And it just sort of felt like a natural fit. So I ended up picking Aya Cash from You're the Worst. Okay. And I saw her as someone who probably wouldn't she, – she would probably be someone who would definitely take the security serious mm-hmm. but also would just be like it's not as important as getting her to the show. It's not as important as her winning the award. It's not as important as my career and like the company I work for really needs Rachel to kind of be here and like you don't understand what this mm-hmm. fucking means to me. And I also thought like 
there's moments in the movie where you think Psy might be the killer. Yeah. There are moments where you think that, like, because he doesn't have her best security interests at heart, that he might be the one deliberately kind of putting her in this this role. Like, yeah. the idea, like, a dead celebrity might be more valuable than a live celebrity. Does she know about the doll? We said there'd been some electrical problem while she was on stage, you know, like a, a short circuit. What about the police? Yeah, there was no need for the police. I mean, no one got hurt. What about the chauffeur? He got hurt. Yeah, it was nothing. I have seen things she's been in. I can't say I've ever... I haven't seen You're the Worst. So I haven't... I can't say that I can comment yeah. directly. But um, I don't know. Sometimes she's on Doug Loves Movies and she's funny. All right. Yeah, I, like this also character has a little humor to him. Like they're not they're not to be taken seriously, right? Mm-hmm. Compared to Frank, who's like, someone's life is on the line. Like that's the bottom line. Yeah. So I was like, yeah, this person needs to have some humor. It was hard. Like I was, I was, it doesn't matter. That's who I picked. <laughs> um, let's move on to Portman. Deal with it. Let's move on to Portman, who I have the biggest issue with, not just in terms of like the character, but like logically. How so? Portman, as it turns out, everyone is the person who is hired to kill Rachel. Yeah. Yet when he flirts with her at the Miami party, like the governor's ball, Mm -hmm. and he gets her alone, instead of killing her, he's like trying to rape her. And I didn't understand, like, why didn't he just kill her if that was his whole purpose this entire time? Too many witnesses? Like, was it, it was supposed to be public, right? But then I was just like, well, this is a pretty public event. Yeah. I mean, I think also there's just probably a certain thrill he would get out of the proximity and the fact that he's doing something in broad daylight. Like, there's no... People see him walk into this room alone with her, but they don't know who he is to her. And so, I mean, not like I understand the mind of a stalker, but it's like messed up. Like I can fully see him being like, no, 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 no. Like there has to be a sexual encounter. Maybe he doesn't actually want to kill her. Mm. It's just the threat. It's like the job is to kill her. But if I can do more damage, I will. Maybe he has this sort of uh, hero syndrome of like, I'll send her threatening letters And then if I seem like a nice guy in this like uh, crazy time of her life, that's how I that's how I connect with her. I don't know. But that was the one part that I was just like, well, there are many reasons why he wouldn't kill her in this moment. Mm -hmm. But because they didn't give any, I was very confused by the end when it was just like, it's Portman. And it was like, well, then why does this movie half an hour longer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um I kind of picked an actor who, based on my Frank, had to be just as charming as, say, a Chris Evans or a Kevin Costner. Someone who would, you know. Or a Joshua Jackson. Or a Joshua Jackson. (laughs) Someone who, like, appeared as a friend but then ultimately would turn into uh, a terrible villain. Um, And this guy's name has been popping up more and more on, like, a lot of – Internet blogs. I picked Ben Barnes from okay. Westworld. He's a British actor. He's very dashing and everyone wants him to play like James Bond. But in Westworld, he kind of plays like, I mean, he's the guy who like introduces Jimmy Simpson to Westworld. And yeah, he, he wants plays to, against that type. Yeah. He wants to like go and uh, fucking screw and kill. And then, you know, Jimmy Simpson turns it on his head and he's just like. Then but Jimmy Simpson goes crazy. Full on. Like Looney Tunes. lives in Westworld. Yeah. Full on Wile E. Coyote versus Acme Looney Tunes. <laughs> 
Like that callback. So I picked him because I thought that he was, you know, he's dashing me like the audience would get, uh-huh. you know, they'd be on board that he was someone that Rachel would be into. But, you know, it's not important that he disguises himself as a bad guy because like mm-hmm. right away he's already kind of seen as a bad guy. So it's like, yeah, all right. I yeah. picked I, uh, that's who I picked. Yeah, no, I think that's a I think that's a good choice. I feel like I had a similar idea. I'm just on a different level because I cast Joshua Jackson as Frank. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> so I definitely was like, <laughs> this guy, this this guy who shows up, who, like, the way we're supposed to feel about him is that if Frank is the guy who's like, I drink my orange juice, I don't do anything that's going to put my client in danger, mm-hmm. I care, I'm there. Like, this guy shows up and is like, whatever, my boss is wherever, I don't care, he's going to get himself in trouble, bleh, I'm going to drink and have fun at this party. Like, he needs to come off as, like, the cool guy. So who are you? Greg Portman. I take it you met my bodyguard? We used to work together. So are you working now? Not right now. Good. Because I'm the only person in this room that needs protection. So I wanted to pick somebody who could just come off as like the cooler version of who Frank is. Like, who Mm -hmm. is the guy that when you see him, you're going to be like, oh, like, I want to hang out with that guy. So I pick somebody who is so hot right now and who I'm hoping will reach a level in his career where he's doing more than roles like this. But I think roles like this are kind of his bread and butter right now. Yeah. I picked Boyd Holbrook. Uh, yeah, he was on my list. Not to be mistaken for Garrett Hunland. Garrett Hedlund, <laughs> Hedlund. Or Charlie Hunnam. So excited to see him in the upcoming The Predator. Yeah. Uh, but you might have also seen him in Logan. I did not. But did. Narcos he has mm-hmm. been in. Mm-hmm. Gone Girl, A Walk Among the Tombstones, a movie that people seem to really enjoy. Uh, the Skeleton Twins. He's in the Skeleton Twins. Yeah. What is he? Who does he play? Oh, I would have to find him to figure it out. So he's been around for a little while, and he's really just starting to break into movies in a big way. Mm-hmm. So I hope to see him excel. Yeah. Uh, but we'll see. Let's get out of this. Guys, it's been fun, but it's time for Where's Barry Pepper Go? I feel like we have the same. I feel like I've been wishing us to have the same and we haven't had the same. Let's have the same. Let's have the same. I couldn't remember this guy's name, so I'll describe him. (laughs) I told you there was something about both these movies, the past two we've done, Uh where I was like, who? that guy Mm -hmm. so i picked barry pepper to be the secret service guy that he calls to like run the tests for him oh i was gonna do that and i was just like you know what last week i had like a very bit thing for barry pepper no do the bit because if there's a cop yeah it's barry i picked a veiny i don't like that for him but that's the thing we're picking cops we're picking dads we're picking agents we're picking snipers we're picking i don't know come on all, like all Devaney does <laughs> is on. hire the guy to be righteous and then is trying to get everyone to be righteous along with Frank and then like immediately disappears. Like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's not there's not a lot for Devaney. So I was like, all right, we'll we'll just. Yeah. But I, I, I wrote him in and then I, cha- I changed him today. I changed him today. You should have went with your first because instinct. the FBI agent is kind of funny, and I'm like, I don't. Yeah, know. you don't think Barry Pepper can do funny? Look at you trying to diversify his portfolio well, when really all you want is to stick him in a box. Well, Monster Trucks was funny, not for the right reasons. One day, let's fight about who loves Barry Pepper more. <laughs> I don't. Have, um, I don't have any notes on this movie 
uh, that I haven't already talked about. Oh, really? I think this movie was pretty good. I think. It... Wait, we haven't talked about the Oscars at all. Oh, Robert Wall. Did you ever see a woman who worked on sound that looked like that? I know. She must have been the boom girl, huh? Looked like the bada bing bada boom girl right there. Yeah. I guess she's working sound. Who's listening? Who wrote jokes for Billy Crystal back when Billy Crystal was It was upsetting. Have you ever seen a sound engineer? It looks like that. Who was actually like the sound lady. Yeah. So how about you show her a little respect, Robert Wool? The Oscars was a weird sequence. Like, it's a bloodbath in the end. (laughs) You would have thought that there would have been more talent in the audience that they could have afforded. Oh, Debbie Reynolds was like the only celebrity cameo. They couldn't even get like nobodies to... Like Lawrence Kasdan should have just called up like the big chill cast and be like, can you guys just come for like an afternoon and then we'll go get lunch? The guy that she presents with, I feel like it's supposed to be a moment of like, and you're going to present with this guy who's like hot right now. And it's like, no, no one cares. (laughs) This guy is nobody. If that guy was like Hugh Grant, you'd be like, whoa, Hugh Grant. Like, yeah, it would have overshadowed the rest of the movie. (laughs) Guys, Hugh Grant is in the bodyguard. But even like Ocean's 8 had like Kim Kardashian walking by. It was just like, come on. I don't know. My last thing I'll say is that the way Rachel looks at Kevin Costner the first time that she sees him, I remember thinking, can you imagine seeing Kevin Costner for the first time ever and looking at him the way Rachel looks at him? Dressed like the way he does with his Steve McQueen haircut. Like her eyes like find him and she like settles on him. But it's in a very, it's not... In the way, like, she she gets defiant in that first meeting, yeah. but she's looking at him very soft and very lovingly and very curious. And I was like, it's Kevin Costner. It doesn't make sense. And to <laughs> piggyback onto this moment, if you ever went to, to on a date with a guy and he was like, want to come to my basement? And in the basement, there's a samurai, samurai sword, sword. Would you be like, oh, what a tough, strong man. Or would you be like, are you the one who's trying to kill me dead? And then he does that thing where he's like, look at this scarf. And he throws it. And it just, his sword is so sharp that it just cuts the scarf. And I Which, I was just like, this is awful. I wonder if even like outside of the movie, Whitney Houston was just like so charmed by Kevin Costner. Because yeah. it sort of seems like all the trivia I read was essentially like they became great friends. He gave her a little bit of acting advice. She gave him like voice lessons. He is the one who's like, you should sing a cappella at the beginning of I Will Always Love You. They're having like, they're doing all these like creative things together. Part of me just wonders if like. He secretly directed this movie. Really? Every Everything in the trivia was like, he championed for Whitney Houston. He made the song happen because he was a producer. Uh-huh. He had a lot of creative input. I think he was getting to the point where he's like, I know what's going to work and I'm going to have someone just kind of film what I want. And in this movie, it kind of works. Also, a piece of trivia that I latched onto was that they wanted to do a sequel. And what's most shocking is that I guess past her, well, I mean, you don't get past your royal days, but Princess Diana, she expressed interest in taking part in a sequel to this movie. It would have been great to see Princess Di act. Yeah, why not? She can do anything. Well, she could do anything. 
Yeah. Alright guys, thanks for joining us on this episode of The Boot. That's it for this uh, Kevin Costner month experiment. It's which is, over. It's over. It's been pretty fun. Like We did a lot of varying movies and hopefully we get to like pick an actor again in the future. Yeah. If you like this pod, please check out our other pods and please check out our podcast next month because I mean it's October. That's Haunted Halloween Horror Month mm-hmm. and we have a lot of stuff planned for you. So Kenna, where can the people find us? You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts. Stitcher, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts, just give us a search. You can find us as this podcast on social media at The Boot Podcast on Twitter and at Root Podcast on Instagram. You can find us separately because Brian is secretly stalking me at Flynnby and at Kenna Trent. All right, guys, thanks for joining us this week, and we'll see you next time. Bye. <laughs> Atomic number of zinc is 30.